Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Fun Sodden Film Podcast. I am Scott, and I'm joined today by Drew. Hello there. And it's another one of our grab bag episodes where we just talk about the films, what we done saw this month, and that. And uh, yeah, partly, I think we'll call this one Slim Picking September. Um, <laughs> let's, let's make a start uh, with The Green Knight. And Drew, what is that all about? Uh, well, first of all, Scott, I, I've come to the realisation I should look after myself better. I really should. Mm. Eat better, take more exercise, watch fewer terrible films. <laughs> now, this last is more difficult to do than the former, because, of course, it's not always possible to know a film is terrible until afterwards. But sometimes there are clues. And in this case, I should really have paid more attention to the writer and director, because The Green Knight was written and directed by David Lowry, the man responsible for the execrable A Ghost Story from 2017. Hmm. Now, one shouldn't judge a book by its cover, and I'm willing to give filmmakers second chances. I'm looking at you, Ari Aster. <laughs> However, my life is finite, but there are, functionally, infinite films, and sometimes you should probably take those shortcuts. And, alas, like a ghost story before it, I feel, given the praise which has been heaped upon it, I either saw a different film called The Green Knight, I'm taking crazy pills, or I'm living in some sort of alternative reality, because it's gash. <laughs> Based on the oft-adapted medieval tale of Sir Gawain and The Green Knight, The Green Knight stars Dev Patel as Man with Beard, him having no discernible personality, <laughs> a would-be knight and nephew to the legendary King Arthur, a mumbling Sean Harris, one Christmas, a fellow calling himself the Green Knight and looking like a combination of Treebeard from the Lord of the Rings and the Gnome King from Return to Oz, bursts into Arthur's court and lays down some sort of challenge. Something to do with laying a stroke on him and then giving the same in return one year later in exchange for his axe and the glories and or riches that go with it. I forget which um, as well, they never actually seem to transpire. Man with Beard is the only person who will take up the challenge, which ends in him decapitating an unarmed man. Well, unarmed man tree thing. <laughs> this is apparently a motif of medieval literature, but I will refer to it as a crime, because I happen to think chopping people's heads off while they stand there idly is a bit wrong. <laughs> There's me and my precious snowflake don't kill people morality spoiling things again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> The people at the court are not similarly bothered, however, and cheer younger man. <laughs> Sorry, uh, my whole life I've only ever heard this pronounced as Gawain, but mm. there are pains in this um, film to not pronounce it that, and it makes sense, I think, based on like kind of some Welsh stuff. It's kind of a more of a Welsh-sounding word. It's like Gawain, almost certainly not the, the Welsh pronunciation. If I try to pronounce it in my accent like they do, it sounds like I'm saying, go on. <laughs> Go on, go on. Um, as I say, the, um, the people that aren't bothered and the cheer young go on and seem supremely unfazed when the Green Knight stands up, picks up his own head, and saunters away. I can't help but feel that people in a pre internet world, or even a post internet world, come to that, should probably show a little more reaction to such a thing than none at all. <laughs> Anyway, Gawain seems to spend the next year alternatively, uh, alternately inebriated and inbedriated, 
with Ladies of Negotiable Virtue, brooding on riding north to meet the Green Knight at the next Christmas. Next Christmas comes. He rides north and meets him, then runs away, and a bunch of weird crap happens on the way. For two hours, though it seems like four. Now, stories can be, and often are, allegory or metaphor or parable. But shouldn't they also be, in the first place, stories? Hmm. And in any way at all interesting? Like, even a little bit? Because this very much is not that. Dev Patel, who I like a lot, is such a damp squib here, though the fault clearly lies in the writing. Though whether that of the medieval tale or Lowry's script, I'm unable to say, not being familiar enough with the source material and not being able to rely on strong enough memories of Prince Valiant, which undoubtedly had the Green Knight and Sir Gawain at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> the tale is supposed to demonstrate knightly virtue, you know, chivalry and whatnot, but Mammoth Beard displays nothing, not once facing a challenge. He demonstrates no act of strength, no daring, no resourcefulness, no courage, no bravery, no inventiveness. He just stumbles from one event to the next while things happen around him. And at one point, he's a hallucinogenic mushroom, raising the strong possibility that 50% of the film only happened in his head. Is this really all there is? Gawain asks the Green Knight at one point. To which he replies, What else ought there to be? I don't know, but off the top of my head, a story, (laughs) characters, a point... Much of this lack of anything is accompanied by infuriating overscoring and underscoring, and it does itself no favours by beginning with the silly, modified, portentously deep voices so beloved of fantasy films and sci-fi. It's well shot, I guess, but so what? It's boring rubbish with nothing to say. Oh, and it also has a post credit scene, because of course it does. Please do not waste your time with this pish. Yeah, I wish 50% of this film happened in someone else's head as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I don't really have anything more to ask. I'm pretty much agreeing with you completely. It's, it is, to be fair, a very well-produced film. Like, if if this is the sort of thing you like for some reason, then it is executed about as well as I think it probably could be. <laughs> uh, but I don't find anything in here that I particularly could latch onto or enjoy or like. Central characters, a wet blanket... Anything that happens to him is sort of inexplicably weird for no reason. And uh, the whole central premise of it is just kind of silly. And I'm not particularly sure what I'm supposed to be taking from this, even as an allegory. What is it for? Bravery in the sense of stupidity? I don't know. Um, I I just do not get what anything of it is trying to do. It doesn't seem to be about bravery. It doesn't seem to really be about gallantry or anything like that. It's um, just just weird (laughs) and not very interesting. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just dull. <laughs> it's very, very dull. Like the biggest problem too is that the the main character he has no character. Yeah, he's yeah. there and things happen to him. He's got as a thing I've been saying a lot recently. I feel like he's got he's got no agency really. Yeah, but, um, I mean, I could kind of got some of the point of it if it had been along the lines of like the story of Job mm. that you know that this person is beset by so many trials and all these bad things happen to him, but he keeps kind of like showing faith or moving through or something. But, but it's not that, because he wanders through a forest a bit and nothing happens, and then he kind of wanders through the forest a bit and nothing happens, and he doesn't really have anything to do or say. But a lot of it's not a particular hardship. Yeah. 
he, he meets a ghost and dies for a skull and puts the skull back and then moves on with his life as though nothing particularly much of interest happened. It's like, okay, yeah. cool. But listen, cool story, bro. He doesn't even die for the skull, though, because, like, the, the image of his shown when he decides to do it is that he's in this, like, this impossibly deep place and stuff. But actually... What happened was he put his hand in about six inches of water to lift out her head. <laughs> yeah. But, so he didn't actually do anything. <laughs> but uh, I am so baffled by the praise of Scott that I can't, that's why I sometimes think I'm living in an alternate reality. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I suppose it's a lot like a ghost story. It was also uh, very well reviewed at the time by a lot of critics and it was absolute, absolute nonsense. Yes, absolutely uh, terrible. Yeah, um, clearly not the sort of film that I apparently like, and yourself, uh, but I'm sure there is a market for it. I'm sure there will be some people who get a lot out of this kind of slow burning to the point of nothing happening, (laughs) to the point of the bingo fire whatsoever uh, kind of thing. But yeah, it's not for me. I'm... I can enjoy a slow burning film um, or film that not a lot happens, but you, you still have to have something. Um, yeah. And generally, if you don't have a lot of action, you at least need to have character. This has no character. Yeah. And then it's got really kind of infuriating sort of mumble core performance, particularly from Sean Harris, who's just dicking off his basically. <laughs> Shut up, speak up, you. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's terrible. I don't know if that's meant to be like deliberately subversive um, styling of King Arthur, but you know, like this legendary king, you would imagine that even as a kind of old and withered man, there would be still some sort of, not a real person, obviously, but like the, the stories that were written with the same character, that there would still be some sort of majesty or power to this person that you'd think, right, there's a reason like in this world why people would follow him, why you'd become famous, like... No, it's just this weak old man who mumbles a lot for some reason. Yeah. There's no <laughs> magic or majesty or power to this person at all. It's like, that doesn't work for that character. Yeah. <laughs> like, have you just deliberately tried to make King Arthur completely different for the sake of making it completely different? <laughs> that wasn't very clever. <sighs> Let us not go to Gabalot. It is a silly place. <laughs> yeah, so uh, unfortunately, very, very, very disappointing film. So having said all we need to about that, I suspect, Scott, shall we move on? Yes. To whatever the next film was that I have um, forgotten. Yes. Oh, oh, that wasn't even a segue, but sort of works as well. <laughs> a film about remembering things and not wanting to, or also wanting to. Reminiscence. <laughs> yes, uh, in which uh, Hugh Jackman's Nick Bannister and his buddy... Thandiwe Newton's Emily Watts Sanders make their living in the near future in a partially submerged Miami, running a business that plugs folks into a computer to relive and record their memories, whether that's just for nostalgia's sake or for, say, trying to remember where your keys are, such as the request of Rebecca Ferguson's femme fatale May, whom Nick soon falls in love with. A few months in, the relationship seems to be going well until the point that May simply vanishes, causing Nick some heartbreak before he resolves to find out what happened to her. Pulling on this thread reveals, as you would perhaps expect from this sort of thing, that May is not quite who she seems to be, and in discovering her past, Nick will find himself dragged down to the seedy underworld of drug dealers, corrupt hyper-capitalism-backed land barns and their politicking while exploring the strange new canals that used to be Miami streets. I suppose the most revealing thing I can say about Reminiscence is that when I started watching it, there was a substantial pile of messily dumped laundry on the bed next to me, and 90 minutes later there was a stack of neatly folded laundry. (laughs) So to say that it kept my full attention would be a bit of a porky. Um, Indeed, on a quick look around the interwebs, Reminiscence has been rather poorly received. That feels a little harsh to me, but ultimately it's not a film I can go to bat for too strongly, even though it's got a lot of stuff in here that I'm normally open to liking. I mean, I'm a sucker for noirish films, and Hugh Jackman is is dependably likable 
itself. Uh, the post-climate change world is a cool setting. <laughs> and there's some interesting world building going on. Um, while I perhaps didn't get much in the way of chemistry between Jackman and Rebecca Ferguson, I did at least believe that Jackman's character felt that there was. Uh, so there's more than enough there to theoretically engage my interest through the various strands of the underworld and Nick Bannister's obsession. And I suppose it's ultimately trying to be about the redemptive power of love and the destructive power of obsession and quite where the line between them is, which I could just about argue that it manages to do. But at the same time, it's also trying to be a film about about climate change and about inequality and about government and about capitalism and about humanity's perseverance in the face of adversity and about a half dozen other things that I'm forgetting. And there's just too much competing for the sunlight here. It's perhaps not all that surprising that the writer-director, Lisa Joy, has most recently been making the Westworld series, as there's a solid argument that this would have been more suited to the miniseries itself, you know, so it could spend more time building a believable relationship between the leads and fleshing out the role of the land barons in this new world through means other than voiceover, uh, flashing back to the resource wars that are again mentioned in voiceover, and well, what I'm saying is that near enough anything Jackman says in voiceover, and there's a lot of it, (laughs) could more or less be a complete episode of a TV series. Uh, there's some more quotidian criticism I could throw at it, like the sudden all-out gun battle that seems to have dropped in from a different film entirely, or the nicely reasoned from a world-building perspective, but entirely counterproductive switch of the traditional roles of day and night, meaning this is a very brightly lit noir, which is a complete total disaster. <laughs> and there's some less-than-stellar CG compositing and subsets that look particularly well like sets and so on and so forth but I think you get the picture that I'm not recommending this Um, I don't hate Reminiscence but I would steer you away from it Uh, watch Strange Days instead yeah uh, I I don't hate this either it's just I mean it was passable enough as I watched it but it even like basically from frame one uh, I had huge questions about the the films like obviously how does your world work your world doesn't work. You think it works. It doesn't. You've not actually put any thought into this. You've thought, mm. well, what will happen? The sea levels will go up and that will just mean all the buildings will stand and all the power cables that go underneath the buildings will still work. It just mm. means there'll be water at the front door instead. No. <laughs> and yeah, so that kind of put me off in the wrong foot from the get-go, Scott, it's because it, it doesn't work. The idea of a place where a world where like climate change has not been reduced in its um, speed where things have you know flooded and stuff and particularly because it's set in Miami mm-hmm. um, given that we just in the last couple of months have discovered just how badly seawater affects buildings in Miami yeah <laughs> um, it was particularly poignant that, that's like no like so you know, you've got all these buildings and they're just there and the whole film seems to consist of people being no more than a few metres away from the sea which is at the same height as them so has like have, has global warming stopped tides did global warming <laughs> yeah. reach as far as the moon and melt it is that what's happened here uh, <laughs> uh, and then strange but it's like the streets they're in are always wet uh, and apparently the sea's just buying those two steel doors over there yeah, don't open the door. That'd be very bad for us all. Yeah, um, <laughs> You'll let the sea in. At some point we see the, the rich people's um, area where they've apparently dammed the sea. No, mm. <laughs> it's the sea. No. <laughs> um, and like, it's in the United States. It's still a pretty big place. We did not just move further inland. Yeah. <laughs> just abandoned the place. Yeah, uh, yeah so unfortunately... The, I kind of wanted to get into the world, but the world was so ill thought through that it didn't actually work for me. And 
that kind of as well as like just it looking so well that the inversion you were talking about of the the day and night thing mm. it also didn't work though because it was kind of suggest i mean they seem to forget when they're outside later that the heat doesn't actually apparently affect anybody but yeah um sort of the way they're saying it would suggest that everything had to happen basically after nightfall so people's what would be nightlife now and their working um, day and stuff would all actually have to happen at night and it doesn't seem to work this it's kind of it's all sort of half-arsed yeah which is a bit disappointing because there's some kind of interesting ideas in there but the the voiceover was driving me crazy it's trying to do a kind of noir detective style voiceover yeah but doesn't have the chops to do it doesn't have the right style or tone so it's all just kind of like a poor copy of that sort of film I mean it's not it's not all bad I mean I've seen films I've enjoyed considerably less um, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's perhaps more frustrating I think there are there are hints of some interesting things in there it does feel a lot like a waste of potential uh, yeah. I think you could I think you sh- they could have done more with just the whole kind of memory uh, diving delving subplot thing as a mechanic of it rather than doing that and doing the post-climate change and doing this, that and the other. There's, it's trying to do an awful lot of things and because it can't spend enough time really explaining any of them particularly well, it winds up doing none of it well at all. And mm. that, that seems like a waste of potential. There, there's, there, that's why I'm saying there's a number of good ideas in here. I think it would have made for a pretty good TV series. You could have spun this out and like focused on bits more and explained things a bit better and all that kind of stuff and maybe made the world make a bit more sense uh, by doing that. But yeah, in the well, it's not even a particularly long film. This isn't much over ninety minutes, if I remember rightly. It's maybe, what, maybe no, it's two hours. It's about two hours. Two hours. Um, yeah, th- th- there's just not enough time to do all that and actually make you care about a character. Uh, so yeah, it really needed it needed to be either a lot, lot longer or a lot more focused and shorter. Yeah, so, there's, yeah. There's, there's too much in it, and also at the same time, not enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, your point about it being a minute or something, I can see that that may work and give that world more time to breathe. And yeah, hopefully the original have made the world make more sense because the world doesn't make sense. And I mean that ending. Yeah, uh, it's just uh, yeah. It seemed to rush through a lot at the end, and particularly and you're know, bringing bringing justice to characters that you've barely met, and all this like okay, right, oh, fine, I don't really care. Yeah, <laughs> then, a bit of a damn squib. Then for some reason, spend your life and the rest of your life in a bath. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, um, and when there are. Again, if I start talking too much about it, I'll just completely take the whole thing apart. But it's um, it's definitely one of those frustration type deals where there's something there. There's a, there's a seed of something interesting that I think they could have done more with. Um, yeah. But a bit more clever writing might have helped actually though, because that was a... Well, I, I mean, I was pretty much two to three steps ahead of the of the characters all times. Yeah. Um, that's not a good sign, like when, mm-hmm. especially when it's something I was barely paying attention to. Yeah, <laughs> and I knew everything that was going to happen. Um, but then it's it's not even with that, that. Even with like it not being in any way complex, it's not trusting its audience with any intelligence either because it's basically spelling everything out. Yeah, you have Hugh Jackman watching this memory, and then there's an evening that's an important part, and then he goes, "Ah, you wanted me to find the evening." Like, yes, I know. Why are you saying this out loud? I've seen the same thing you've just seen. I understood what it meant. 
yeah, uh, which is a pity. Uh, but no, I'll just, uh, I, I will second your um, yeah, exhortation to watch Strange Days instead. You yep. want to watch things about um, things in your head and memories. Yeah, Strange Days, much, much better film. Mm-hmm. Even with Tom Sizemore, that's how much of a better film it is. Yes, yeah, overcome that baffling. handicap. There's, there's always one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's move on then to Space Jam: A New Legacy. It says here, although I don't believe that's actually a film. Uh, is that correct, Drew? <sighs> they, they made a sequel to Space Jam, and someone watched it. Yes, unfortunately, that's someone was me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know why I do these <laughs> things myself. <laughs> right. Hopefully, this is going to be short. I'm really only including this review in the podcast as a warning to others who, like me, um, might retain some small fondness for 1996's Space Jam, which is the only reason I watched Space Jam A New Legacy. I actually watched the original again for the first time in probably 20 years, scary thought, before watching this new film, and it is, as I remembered, fine. It's a slight thing but with moments of charm and with some reasonable appeal if, like me, you were a fan of Michael Jordan. It actually had a pretty good soundtrack, with a bunch of decent, memorable songs, most of which were written for it. Amazingly, the album for Space Jam went six times platinum. (laughs) The soundtrack for Space Jam and New Legacy may have been written for it, but I don't know, and I frankly don't care, because if it was custom, all involved ought not to have bothered, as there's not one memorable song amongst them. It's just some sound and the occasional insipid cover. I did, however, note during the credits that the one song, MVP, has 21 credited songwriters. (laughs) 21, Scott. Is that like Uh, a line each? (laughs) You'll no doubt have noticed I've mostly talked about the original film so far, and I'm sure you know where this is heading. But don't get me wrong, the original Space Jam is no masterpiece. But it's an okay film with good music and the Looney Tunes, but it's mostly forgettable. So why 25 years later Warner Brothers thought he needed a reboot come sequel is beyond me. But not for the first time I observed that, as a company, Warner Brothers does not know its arse from its elbow. (laughs) This time around, it's LeBron James who gets sucked into the Looney Tunes world to rescue his son from the clutches of Don Cheadles. And I can barely bring myself to say this is so spectacularly naff Al G Rhythm Mm. yes Al G Rhythm this algorithm which is actually an AI but this is only the beginning of how little the screenwriters and director know about computers and well anything the coding genius child in it is referred to as little Stevie Jobs at one point (laughs) Well, this algorithm is butthurt because LeBron James has shot down his ideas for interactive entertainment involving the basketball star. In this world, all of Warner Brothers' ideas seem to be generated by this computer program, and that explains a lot. (laughs) There's more than a ring of truthiness to this whole thing. (laughs) Lifting directly from Tron, Al G transports LeBron's son Dom into the Warner serververse and holds him hostage because that big bad meanie LeBron James didn't like his ideas. Really, the whole plot is based on a butthurt computer program. I'm not exaggerating. He then challenges James to win his son back, which will be done in a scaled up version of the basketball-like game that Dom has been coding. Then... Somehow, huge chunks of the world's population are also transported into this digital domain. 
This, however, seems to cause little consternation or problem anywhere. And if LeBron and his Looney Tunes teammates lose, the tunes are being erased from the server and the humans are never getting back out into the real world. It's remarkably stupid. It's also remarkably dull. And long. The original film had the good grace to come in at an entirely acceptable and appropriate 87 minutes. A new legacy is touching the two-hour mark when it finally finishes. Bugs Bunny, that's Bugs Bunny, the Looney Tune, doesn't turn up until 27 minutes have elapsed. 27? And around this time, we're also treated to a tiresome trawl through many, many, many Warner Brothers properties, which is presumably some sort of wet dream for the corporation's marketing department, but I suspect both bewildering and boring for any children. I could be wrong, of course, but I'm doubtful how well the film's target audience is going to respond to seeing Mad Max Fury Road, Austin Powers, or bloody Casablanca. (laughs) The last third, the sort of basketball match, is a visual assault, where everything is happening all the time, yet is singularly uninteresting, and in which the beloved Looney Tunes characters have been made 3D. It's just wrong. As is the fact that the film opens with a young boy being pressured to get good at basketball, as it's the only way to get his mum out of the slums and poverty. Or Warner Brothers apparently having surveillance access to every computer, phone and camera in the world. And definitely not creepy. And the company seems oblivious to how any of this would come across. Not that this is new though, as Space Jam, the original, heavily relied on the idea of the Looney Tunes being enslaved and actually featured an animation of Michael Jordan with a ball in his chain, forced to work against his will. Tone deaf much? Uh, Performance-wise, LeBron James, like his airness before him, is passable but clearly out of his element, and Don Cheadle is terrible, but still gives this horror more than it deserves. A bigger problem is the voicing of the Looney Tunes, which somehow... Rather than just being not very good impressions of the legendary Mel Blanc, are not very good impressions of the not very good impressions in the 1996 film, <laughs> coming across like the voice performance equivalent of a third generation VHS copy. It's also very bad. Uh, so I guess it turns out that wasn't short. In <laughs> fact, quite the opposite. Bugger. Sorry. However, before I leave this, I do try to find a positive where I can. I really am an optimist, honest. And here it is. Sonequa Martin-Green is there. Well, that's it. She's there. As LeBron's wife, hers is a small and rather thankless role. But there she is, and she's not objectionable in any way. (laughs) And if you know how deeply I hate her as Michael fracking Burnham and how I wish this was actually Star Trek, Star Trek Discovery, you'll understand how remarkable this is. Wonders will never cease. I think a great prank would have been if we all just forgot that this film existed and then when it gets to the time when they were going to release the new Matrix film, they just released this as the next Matrix film. I think that would have been worked. That would have that would have really that would have really confused some people. I think that could have been a real good prank that we could have got some people with. Worryingly Scott, there's quite a lot of it that is very Matrix like, including some actual <laughs> references to the Matrix. Yes. But there's quite a lot in there. And were I to find out that some executive at Warner Brothers had had some sort of idea that that might be a setup for it, I would honestly mm. not be surprised. Yes, yes, this seemed like a terrible idea. I didn't watch it, so I will accede to your 
<laughs> your judgment there and continue to not watch it. So yes. not watching it was the right idea. <laughs> well done you. <laughs> I'm going to get a sweetie. Uh, you've got a sweetie. It's the biggest sweetie. It's called not having watched Space Jam a new legacy. <laughs> I think it's delicious. <laughs> So we're um, moving on to something very, very different to finish with, which is a recently released Danish film called Shorta, or Enforcement. Scott, what's that all about? Yes, uh, the the inciting incident in Shorta is the Danish police's arrest of one Talib Ben Hassi a few days ago that sees the 19-year-old hospitalised after being held in a chokehold. The two arresting officers are placed on administrative leave, while the other copper present, Simon Shears Jens Hoyer, has just returned after a few days on the sick. Internal affairs would like a word with him, but with tensions running high in the Arabic community, he's needed on patrol. He's assigned to ride along with Jacob Lowman's Mike Anderson, who is essentially every all-cops-or-bastards trope rolled up into one repugnant lump. Racist, abusive, violence as a first resort, etc, etc. Uh, very much one of those bad apples you hear about. Uh, but he's keen to get Jens in line, closing ranks with his police brothers and absolving themselves of any wrongdoing while arresting Ben Hassey. Before they can make much headway into that conversation, they chase a suspicious car into the majority Arabic ghetto of Svalgarden, which I thought sounded a bit pejorative, but that's the Danish government's classification, not mine. Uh, the police had been told not to patrol there today. I think the reason given was because of the plot. Uh, but at any rate, they wind up deep in there when news breaks that Ben Hassey has died, kicking off citywide unrest and meaning that they, when they get targets painted on them by the locals, they need to get out of there on their own. Well, not quite on their own, as it turns out that the kid Bike was trying to arrest on a trumped-up non-offence, Tarek Zayat's Amos al-Shami, will help him navigate out of an increasingly violent and unpredictable situation. I guess he's one of them good Muslims we hear about. What starts as a tense game of cat and mouse between the cops and mobs grows increasingly daft and morally confused until it reaches an ending that will bring no closure or satisfaction to anyone. Now, writer-director partnership Frederick Louis Sivid and Anders Olm are biting off a lot here and could perhaps have used a few more chewing lessons. Uh, the tone taken here might be appropriate for something more schlocky like Assault and Basic 13, but taking very real-world, keenly felt problems with policing and dropping it into an action framework is crass at best, at least with script and characters this stupid. And frankly, the least said about what appears to be some attempt at a final act redemption for Mike, a character that was recently gleefully machine-gunning the people he's sworn to protect, is, well, a tad stupid. <laughs> now, I'm not writing these quaters off. There's enough good work done in the early going of this to show that they can wrangle an action thriller together, uh, but maybe they should go a bit easier on the social commentary or work on abstracting it a bit more so it feels a bit less grotty. Alternatively, there's for sure a number of films to be made exploring the tensions between the police and the police, the institutionalised racism, police training, the atmosphere caused by a lack of in integration of migrants into the communities and the causes of that lack of integration and so on and so forth um, but the avenue for that exploration should not be modelled on Dread 3D <laughs> watch Dread instead Yeah, um, I was quite disappointed by this, the reason that I watched this so I heard a little bit about it and there was an interview with the, the directors on the film programme Radio 4 last mm. week the week before um, and I'd heard a wee bit about it. I thought it sounded quite like Large Lee's 2019 film Les Miserables, which is excellent. We talked about that last year, Scott. Would that have mm, been? Right, yeah. That sounds about right, yeah. And it sounded a bit like that. And the actual interview in, in the film programme mentioned that when she was talking to them. So it's like, it's like she was aware that it was similar and they were, they, they acknowledged this, like the like similar ideas there. And I thought, oh, right, mm -hmm. this will be quite good then. And for the first maybe first 30 minutes 
it feels like it's going to be a similar sort of film. Yeah. And then it just gets stupid. Um, <laughs> whereas Les Miserables, it, it's just this fantastic film and you feel the differences in the, the cultures and the, all the things you were saying that this film doesn't do, Les Miserables does. Mm. And huge chunks of that are based on real things that happened. Even the lion in Les Miserables was real. <laughs> the lion cub. And it's, yeah, it's again, somebody being hurt by the police in this case it was in that case it was a um, kid being um, hit in the face by a flash grenade and somebody having caught that on drone camera and then it's like that film like the, the tension is constantly increasing you always feel like the people are in danger but it, it all feels kind of believable and in enforcement shorter it's like after 30 minutes to just basically turn into a series of exceeding, uh, progressively stupid drama bombs. Yeah. And yeah, like really kind of ham-fisted, well-intentioned no doubt, but really ham-fisted, very basic attempts at the whole, oh look, these brown people are just like us white people, but brown. Yes. Aren't all people <laughs> like people? And, and and then it's like, there's not a lot of things that make sense there. Um, like when they've got... Amos, the the kid of um arrested, is like, okay, I'll accept that at the beginning Mike felt that he had to arrest them, right? Mm. But when all the shit kicks off and there are riots and the police are targets, do you think it's really necessary to take this yeah. um teenager <laughs> to a police station given that what you've arrested for is throwing a milkshake at a car windscreen that wasn't moving, right? Mm. It's like quite a different thing if it was a moving car. Um also you know who he is and where he lives. You could just say, right, you go home, we'll get out if you're really safe. But a yeah. film had to happen. <laughs> you can just come and pick him up another day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, it's, unfortunately, it's it's very kind of amateurishly done, especially the writing. And I say the the ending makes no, well, it makes no sense. It's like, wait a minute, so he's the one getting out of this? And, mm. um, <laughs> so, He's redeemed to what? No, Who? Well, uh, no, 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 not buying that at all. Nope, no, thank no. you. Uh, <laughs> and also, there were slightly more kind of um, mechanical issues that I'm puzzled by. Like, he's rescued by a woman. He gets shot at one point. This mate guy he gets rescued by a woman who's about a third the size of him. Mm. Yet she managed <laughs> to move him into her flat and put him into the bathroom while he was presumably unconscious. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and he, because she used to, she was a nurse, she just had IV drips knocking around because most people, I guess, just take their work home with them these days. Yeah, that's what so. happens. People have um, whole... She even had like a little wheel cabinet thing full of medical supplies like people have. <laughs> it's convenient for the plot, that. So yes. um, I guess that's, that's where she got it. She got it from Plot Contrivances R Us. <laughs> yeah, so actually this goes down as a, another disappointment. It's an interesting idea. And I mean that's it's very off the now and, and has been for a while and and those sorts of ideas um, those sorts of, um, cultural clashes are happening all, and particularly in Europe at the moment a lot of countries where these sorts of things are happening or have happened or might happen uh, and this kind of just does such a a simple half-arsed very naive attempt at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a real pity because um, there, there are elements in there that's like, yeah, you could really get your teeth into something interesting there. Again, like Les Miserables did. Mm. It was such a powerful film. Um, 
And this one is like, yeah, no. Because it's too contrived. Far, far too contrived. And it's social commentary is just so, so pat. It seems like it's desperately trying to just, just throw its hands up and be a bit of a centrist dad about it all and go, oh, look, there's good people on both sides and there's bad people on both sides. And it's like, that doesn't really play, given the, 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 what you're trying to set up here. Um, and, and none of that makes any sort of sense. <laughs> what what you're trying to get at with your moralising doesn't fit in with what you wrote. And that's weird because you wrote it. You, <laughs> you could make a better case for it and you haven't. Um, leading to that, yeah, it's just it's one of the least satisfying ending in films <laughs> I've seen recently. Um, which is a bit of a shame because I think I think you kind of agree with me there. The early going stuff, I think they they can make some good films if they um, can harness their clear talents in, in that kind of way to get something going. And I think they can direct, they can keep the tension up, they can direct action stuff. It's just in this context, it's just kind of ill served by all the framework around it. Um, no, I'm, I'm hoping they, they can get another chance to do something else in this. I suppose they did get enough acclaim that they should get that chance, but I'm just hoping that they uh, think about it a bit more next time. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'll keep an eye out for them, but maybe if they work with a better writer, because yeah, they kept the yeah. tension up, but the but by means of stupidity. Yeah, like yeah. Nonsensical things, like it's... They're acting like they're trapped in this housing estate, but there's maybe like half a dozen people going around it and massive spaces could yeah. just have walked out. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's um, it's a disappointing end, but I think the filmmakers are probably worth keeping an eye on, at least. If they were to do something in like a more straightforward action film, yeah, they've got the chops for that, and that could be on the internet. When they've tried to graft on or merge these two things, it just hasn't worked. Yeah. Yeah, a bit of a shame. Um, yeah, one of the more interesting failures, I suppose, in this episode. But uh, yeah, not uh, still not something I would I would recommend to anyone. No, no, it's a pity. An interesting failure, but yeah, definitely a failure, none the worse, yeah. nonetheless. Well, I suppose that will wrap us up for today. Um, if there's anything you would like to get in touch with us, then why don't you? You can email us at podcast at Film. You can hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash Film or on Twitter at Film. And uh, yes, we'll be back with you in a matter of days with a look at John Houston's work. And until that time, take care of yourself and each other. Ta-ta! Auf Wiedersehen.